Marginalized groups exist in every community. Their stories often get swept under the rug, forgotten, or minimalized. By sharing these stories, we hope to cultivate compassion and equip the local church to better care for all people. This is Life Stories. Hi there, this is Beth Ferreira, and on this first episode of Life Stories, we are going to be talking to Life Task Force Director Amanda Stevens. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for doing this for us, Beth. Yeah, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself, just uh, who you are, what you do, a little bit about your family? Sure. So my husband and I are celebrating 16 years of marriage this summer, which I'm really excited about. We have three kids, 12-year-old AZ, 9-year-old Hannah, and 7-year-old Caleb. I have to think really hard about their ages. Yeah, they grow up so fast. (laughs) And I would describe myself professionally as an educator. I love to teach But God has opened this door for me to be part of the Life Task Force at Church at the Cross. And and in many ways, this is my dream job, just getting to help connect people in our church with service opportunities to help the marginalized, to help those who feel like they're outsiders or who have suffered trauma in their past. So it's a privilege to get to do that here with our church. Life Task Force feels a little bit generic. Can you kind of break it down and give us a definition of what is the Life Task Force. So we have had to give a lot of thought to this ourselves. It's taken a while to define what the Life Task Force is and what it does. Our mission statement is to teach the church about the dignity of marginalized groups within our society and to train and send our church to care for them. So right now, when we're talking about marginalized groups, our Life Task Force really focuses on three. The first being pre-born children, children in the womb and their families. The second being foster and adoptive children and the families who have taken them in. And the third being trafficking survivors. So we feel like those are three groups of people in our society that are marginalized or um, disadvantaged, need the church's help. In our society today, there are a lot of humanitarian groups. Why is it important that the church get involved in these social issues? Are you asking social issues in general or these particular social issues? Well, I think both. Because I think there is sometimes a knee-jerk reaction when people hear about getting involved with any kind of social issue, Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. outside of abortion in the church. And so I think my question is, like, if we have these groups, why is it important that the church in general get involved in, um, one, these specific social issues, but maybe a variety of social issues as life task force grows? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. That's really central to what we do. So the first thing I'll say is that we know from Genesis 1 that every human being is made in God's image. And so that elevates the status of every single person that we ever come in contact with. Every single child in the womb from the moment of conception, every child or adult outside the womb, young, old, handicapped, perfectly healthy, people who have made mistakes, people who have not made mistakes. It just 
encompasses everyone and we're to love everyone and not show partiality to anyone because, you know, we uh, value certain characteristics that they have or don't have. And we know also from scripture that God shows no partiality between Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, male or female, and that he really loves the weak and the oppressed, and he stands up for the weak and the oppressed. So we see all through the Old Testament that God comes to the rescue of the weak. And we see in the New Testament that he sends his son to come to rescue all of us who have sinned. We're all in the same boat, that we all uh, fall short of the glory of God and are justified only by faith. And so as we think about what our personal salvation means, I think sometimes we think about salvation as, okay, Jesus has rescued me and now I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I'm going to heaven and I need to tell other people about Jesus so they can go to heaven. But one thing that seems to be not talked about as much is the fact that Jesus is using his church to bring about his kingdom on earth now. (laughs) He's using his people to not only go to the far corners of the earth and tell them about Jesus, but also to go and help them with physical needs, you know, to give them food and clean water and education. And in general, we should care about any, anyone suffering in the world, about any need out there, but there are a lot of needs out there. So the Life Task Force focuses on those three that I talked to you about, about the particular groups that are disadvantaged. And, um, Abortion is a really controversial issue. In some churches, it doesn't feel as controversial because it kind of feels like maybe we're on the same page that we value human life. But at the same time, um, one in four women will have had an abortion by age 45 if statistics remain the way they have been in the past. So that means that One in four of the women at Church at the Cross have probably had an abortion. And man, I want for them to not have to keep that to themselves. I want for them to be able to share that secret with their discipleship group here or with someone trusted here in our congregation so that they don't have to be suffering in silence. And I want men who have been involved in abortions in the past to be able to share that and to receive healing for that. With the abortion issue, which is really kind of how the Life Task Force got started, right? Was this desire to dignify the preborn. Yeah, our church deeply, deeply cares not just for the preborn, but for the mother and the father, and even for the post abortive mother and father, that we would be a place where we could glorify God and all of the ways that He's brought us through the mistakes that we've made, and that um, we could glorify God in helping parents who weren't expecting to be parents to become those parents and to parent their children well and to do it within a supportive group in the church. And so for those other two issues, you know, foster care and adoption and trafficking survivor advocates, those other two branches, those are so linked to the abortion issue, which is why they just kind of naturally got put as a part of the Life Task Force, because all of it, all of those branches overlap so much. Foster children are vulnerable for being abused and trafficked 
foster children are vulnerable for having unexpected pregnancies that they might then abort their children. Uh, trafficking survivors sometimes become impregnated in, the, um, in their slavery and are forced to have an abortion. It's just all of these things are so connected. So as we care for the pre-born children and their families here at Church at the Cross, those other two things naturally come in. And we're just really excited to be a part of bringing God's kingdom here to our community by dignifying all of those people groups. Let's back up a little bit. Even before Life Task Force came about, why are you passionate about this? You said it started with the issue of abortion and has grown from there as you've seen all of the issues that are kind of interwoven together. What made you really passionate about this specific issue? Right. That's a really difficult question for me to answer. So I had to think a long time about this. Why am I passionate about it? A lot of times people are passionate about things that have impacted them personally. And that's not my story. And so, you know, I can't say that that I've had an abortion in my past. Praise be to God that he saved me from that. I wasn't in the foster system and you know, nor was I in danger of ever being in the foster system. I haven't been trafficked. Again, praise the Lord. So I had to think, why is it that I'm so drawn to this work? And I can remember even as a kid being the person that really cared about the kid on the sidelines that was excluded or maybe the the new kid or um, just somebody that was kind of socially awkward. Like I felt drawn to them. And when I attended Baylor, they had us do the strengths finder test. And one of my top five personality characteristics was includer, meaning that that's just kind of part of my inclination to bring in people from the outside, from the margins. So I suppose that that's kind of a natural thing for me. And when I guess maybe it was in 2014, 2015, one of my friends from uh, another church started working for Human Coalition. And he told me about the organization and I read Brian Fisher's book, Deliver Us From Abortion. And then I read a few other books on abortion and I just was shocked to know how many abortions happen in our country, how liberal, and I don't mean that in like a Democratic versus Republican term, but just like how liberal the abortion laws are that they really allow women to have abortions for any reason or no reason at all. That's Supreme Court language from Roe v. Wade. And so um, I was just kind of shocked. And I thought, oh, well, something needs to be done about this. Shortly after I was reading those books, I came to Church at the Cross and JR had mentioned in the members meeting that he was looking for people to join the Life Task Force that were really passionate about this issue. And I thought, that's me. I've I want to, to join this effort. So I think I got started with it in 2016. In looking at the church, and for you personally, have you seen ways of getting involved in um, service and social issues that you feel like have, have worked, have been positive? Right. Well, when you think about serving the marginalized there are a couple of main ways that you can do that. You can give them stuff or you can be in a relationship with them. 
And this stuff is important. It really is. I mean, it sounds kind of trite when I say it that way, but it is important that every mom who's expecting a baby have has a car seat for her baby. And it is important that she has a safe place, like a pack and play to put her baby while the baby's sleeping. So stuff is important, but I think what people really crave is relationships. And so going right along with our church's goal to help people and places encounter Jesus, we really want the Life Task Force to be about building relationships so we can help people and places encounter Jesus. Or for those who have already encountered Jesus, that they have a support system within our church community um, or in some church community to come alongside them and help them because everybody needs someone to encourage them and love them and be in a relationship with them. Now, building relationships has been hard during COVID. So really the Life Task Force this past year, since I've officially come on as the Life Task Force director, we've been focusing on providing things, providing this stuff. And and that's been a blessing too for them. I, th- I think it has. At first you think, well, I mean, gosh, we can pack care packages, but what they really probably need, what, you know, these foster families really probably need is a babysitter to watch over their kids so they can have a little bit of a break after having been quarantined inside with their kiddos all day long. And we couldn't safely give them babysitters as often as we wanted to, but, but we nevertheless did the care packages and Heather Enright and Amy Brooks did such an amazing job on that. And they were so well received and really helped our foster families feel loved and seen and to have a little bit of fun together. I'm glad that we've been able to provide some care packages, some gift bags for some women at the clinic. We've been able to provide go bags for trafficking survivors. So we've done a lot of packaged gifts for people this year, but we are really, really looking forward to things opening up again and for us to be building relationships with people. Why do you think it's so hard to focus in on the relationship side of, I think of service, but also I would tie in evangelism? You know, because I think that sometimes people, they separate those two and they say, you know, you can't just, you can't just give stuff or serve. You have to tell them about Jesus. And some people shift the other way where it's only about, let's tell them about the gospel, but they forget the service side. So how, why do you think it's so hard to tie those two together into relationship, which is kind of where they meet, right? In the middle. Right, right. Well, relationships are not formulaic. You can't just say, I'm going to put these three things in a box and send it and, you know, have a relationship. You can do that with giving things. It's really easy to plan to give things to people. It's not as easy to plan for having a relationship with someone because everybody's so different. And there's that pain line that sometimes JR talks about that we have to cross. There's this awkwardness of first meeting someone and getting to know them and the fear of what if they don't like me or what if I don't understand them or what if I say something or do something that actually hurts them instead of helps them you know there are all of those fears and so I think well maybe fear is the word I think fear is the thing that keeps us from entering into relationships 
as often as we should? Or is that barrier to building community? And there's fear on the other side. There's not only fear from people in our church who would like to serve our community and build relationships, but there's, um, there's fear of the people that we're serving that what if these church people judge me? You know, I don't attend church regularly or I've done this thing that I'm not proud of. And so there might be fear on their side and we have to find ways to break through that stigma and help them to feel loved and not judged. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really common issue that kind of comes up with people that, that are marginalized in the church is they feel they feel like there is an us and them mm -hmm. aspect to things. And you kind of, you touched on it early on when you were talking about how we are all made in the image of God and how um, throughout the Bible you see that God is a God after those who are marginalized and oppressed. And, and you said that that includes all of us. Like we are all in that boat because we are all sinners. Um, but how can, can we as a church body or even the life task force, what is your goal to, to kind of educate people? Because I think we all, we all know that, but it's one of those head to heart situations where we can say, yes, we're all in the same boat, but on either side, there's fear. On either side, there's pride. On either side, there's a misunderstanding. So what are some things you hope to do to educate to change that? So I think the breakdown is, maybe it can be best described through the book that some of us have been reading, The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. He talks about the parable of the lost son in the Bible, which he says should really be called the parable of two sons, two lost sons, because there's the younger brother that lives this wild, crazy, licentious life. And then there's the older brother that does everything right and is yet still not in the right kind of relationship with his father because he thinks he, since he's doing all the right things, he should get all the right things and have control over his father's estate and how his father spends his money and so I think most of us are probably in one of those two categories, or maybe both. I can think of times in my life that I think I've probably been a younger brother, but most of the time I've been an older brother. And I think it's important for the younger brothers out there to accept the grace that, that Jesus offers and to rest and trust that all of the things, the mistakes that they've made and that the shame that they carry um, is released with the gospel, you know, with trusting in Jesus, that that does not have to be a weight that they carry anymore. But for the older brothers, one of the things that Tim Keller recommends is to start thinking about not what is it that you've done that was sinful, because your list may be kind of short if you question it that way, if you ask that question that way, but why have I been doing these good things? <laughs> And that has really resonated with me. Why have I done the good things that I've done all my life? And I think if I really examine those motivations, my righteous deeds are like filthy rags when, when I think about it. And so it's helpful for maybe 
for people who say, oh, yeah, we're all one in Christ, like we're all on equal footing, but they still kind of secretly are judging the people that have those things that they have done. Mm -hmm. You know, some people maybe think to themselves, oh, I would never have an abortion. I think it's important to note that you may have had an abortion if you had walked the road that some of these people have walked. If you were in the situation that they were in, you may have made a choice that you really regret. I think it's important for us to examine um, what our motivations are for doing things so that we can understand that we really all, all, all need God's grace. Um, that if it weren't for him helping us, we would have made so many more mistakes in our life. And maybe talking about those situations that people have been in that led them to have the abortion or that led them into human trafficking, that led them to addictions that caused their kids to be put into the foster system. Helping people to understand those situations will cultivate that compassion that we hope to cultivate in people. You know, you talked about your motivations. And as um, I, I too have been reading the Tim Keller book, Prodigal God, and that same realization of, yeah, I might not have this long list of quote unquote sin, you know, that we might naturally just categorize. I do have a long list of rebellion against the Lord and his mercy and his righteousness in thinking that, one, I can create my own righteousness, and two, the things that I have done and said were out of obedience and love for God were really just things that I did because I wanted praise from you know, as an external source, or I was afraid to do anything different. Or I felt like it would get me what I wanted. So none of those things are righteous. None of those things are holy. And it takes some, I think, some introspection to be able to recognize uh, those things. But after that introspection, to be able to voice it and say, yeah, I'm I'm not righteous. I'm not holy. Like, Mm -hmm. here's my story that is, you know, is, is still messy and is still just you know, heartbreaking, like that I would, I would like the older brother refuse to go into the feast, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I think you're right. I think in sharing our stories and being willing to be honest about what's going on in the background of our lives, um, that's what brings us to a place where we can all sit at the same table at the same feast and say, and we all need the same things. Mm-hmm. As I listen to you and as I listen to uh, the issues that Life Task Force desires to tackle, they feel really big. They feel really impossible. You know, you say one in four women um, will have an abortion by age 45. When you think about the just unimaginable number of enslaved people in our own area here in DFW, it feels it feels overwhelming as someone who is also trying to tackle these issues. What encouragement do you have for uh, for our people? That's a great question because that doubt that what I'm doing isn't enough 
inevitably creeps into every ministry. I just think that is a lie that Satan loves to whisper in people's ear. The lie that whatever you're doing, it's not going to solve anything. It's not, it's not going to be enough to totally solve the issue. Like, why bother? That's certainly a doubt that I've struggled with. And I'm thinking in the Bible, I don't, I don't think God ever says, go solve everything. He asks us to be obedient in taking steps toward him and in loving the people around us. He doesn't ask us to solve the world's problems. He will solve the world's problems. And so I think twofold. One, we, we ought to be obedient to the Lord's calling. And then two, we need to trust that he really will do what he says he's going to do, which is to wipe away every tear and banish every sickness and make this world brand new again. And he's doing it now. And so he's asking for us to step into those things. I mean, when I feel discouraged, I have to just remind myself of that over and over again, that God is working. I have lots of limitations. God has zero limitations. He can do all things and all things are possible with him. And so I, I just try to be obedient and taking the next step. But he doesn't ask us to have all the steps or to know everything that we need to do, he really asks us to pray for guidance on the next good thing that we need to be doing. And he has always been faithful. When we at Church of the Cross and as a Life Task Force have prayed, Lord, what do you want us to do next? He has always been faithful to show us. So yeah, we just, take one step at a time doing the things that we know he loves, you know, trying to be like him and encouraging people and being generous to those in need. When we see on Care Portal that there's a family of five sleeping on the floor, that is a great opportunity to collect five beds or air mattresses and sets of sheets and deliver it to that family. We don't have to have the long-term plan of like, how are we going to get everybody who's sleeping on the floor to have some furniture? Like we know about this family, so let's serve that family. So yeah, just take the next step prayerfully. Take the next step, ask God for guidance, look for where he's working so we can go join him in that. How have you seen that played out? when you feel like you can't possibly do enough or there's no way that you're doing enough. And then there are those little bit of, you know, a, maybe a ray of sunshine, so to speak, that says just like, okay, all right, this is doing something, mm. you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that helps you to get out of bed the next day and do it again. Mm -hmm. Have you had any of those moments? Well, I really, I, was really distraught last fall, so the fall of 2020, when we couldn't provide that foster parents night out like Heather and Amy had planned to do. And so we decided to do care packages. And I, I thought, I know care packages are going to be great, like it's going to brighten their day, but I just didn't know if it was really going to minister to them in the way that we were hoping it would. And families came up afterwards to Heather or to Amy to say, we 
are so happy that people see us. We're so happy that the church supports our family in this endeavor and that we're not alone. And so I was really glad that a care package communicated that to them. It wasn't just the, the items, but it was also the implicit support in that care package that ministered to them. And so it's times like that that I think, okay, good. We are able to communicate how much we love these families and we're with these families. Sometimes I get in my head that if something isn't perfect, like if we don't have the perfect curriculum or we don't have the perfect execution, that we should just scrap it all, you Mm -hmm. know, and start over and wait until we can find the perfect thing. But I think God is teaching me that he works in all the imperfections and that we shouldn't wait until we have it all figured out to to act. Yeah. And (laughs) I'm so grateful for that because I'm never (laughs) going to have it all figured out. And we're never going to have the perfect curriculum for any of the things that we do. Yeah. um, Or the perfect execution or the perfect people. Mm -hmm. I can look at many times in my history of community service and think, oh, I hope I helped that person because mm-hmm. <laughs> I really think that I did a terrible job or that I was not loving to them the way I ought to have been. That in my mind, I was the person that had it all together and I was going to help this person that didn't have it all together. And gosh, how prideful and how harmful that disposition is when you're in service. But I try to rest and that God used it. He used my imperfections and shortcomings. And and I didn't mess up his plan, even though I was not perfect in the way that I did things. That's a huge encouragement. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And you can find out more information on the Church at the Cross website under the Life Task Force, or you can check out the show notes for this episode. Life Stories is a production of the Life Task Force at Church at the Cross. For more information, go to churchatthecross.com.